Maybe you felt chills or goosebumps. Perhaps it's an overwhelmed feeling of something bigger than you or more complex. Whatever the feeling, God put the response in your soul as a reminder of his presence, power, and glory. It's called awe, and he wants to remind us of it every day in many ways. Join us as we discover how God has used his awe to inspire others to follow him deeper in their lives. So on, today on In Awe by Bruce, we're blessed to have Thor Ramsey with us. He's a Christian comedian. You may remember from as the host of Bananas Comedy or Thou Shalt Laugh. He's the author of many books, including A Comedian's Guide to Theology. It's a screenwriter and actor, which brings us really to our subject for today, Church People, a movie that he helped write uh, and then also acted in as the lead. He's also become a pastor, currently at Center Church in California. Thor's married. He has two children. Thor, welcome to In Awe by Bruce. Good to be here, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Oh, glad, glad to have you. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, wanted to ask you, as far as what motivates you and inspires you, what, what really gets you going to do all the things that you're doing? Well, that's a hard question to answer, but I would say, to yeah. boil it down, as Christians, we're people of the truth. Mm-hmm. And so that is really a big motivator in my life, because uh, as Christians, we should want to know the truth, whether it is good news truth or bad news truth. But okay. the reality is we need to know truth, and we need to know truth to live in the world the way God intends us to live. That's part of it. That's why God's revealed himself. That's why he's revealed Christ to us. That's why we have the scriptures who were, that reveal Christ, and we can hear God when we open up those scriptures. We're hearing God, and he says he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, which basically means we have everything we need to live the life uh, that he wants us to live and the way that he wants us to live it in a way that we can love our neighbors, love God and, and flourish as human beings. So, uh, but you can't flourish without truth. So mm-hmm. that's the bottom line, truth. And that's why even the movie itself was, even though it's a comedy, comedy is in one sense, and I, and I, cause I started in the secular market when I became a comedian, I wasn't walking with the Lord when I became a comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing that, you know, I, I did learn in the secular market was uh, comedians in one sense were truth tellers. Yes. They were, they were saying things in culture that other people were afraid to say. Now that's where I think uh, comedians who aren't Christians now who lean left and most comedians of you know like it's not controversial to say anymore hollywood leans left and i would even mm-hmm. say they don't even lean left they are left they're part of the left wing i think for all intents and purposes it amounts to propaganda these days that's what they do they support a certain narrative of the world and a world view mm-hmm. um, that's the one they want to support so that's what they promote they promote people who support that world view and it becomes a circular type of vision of the world if the word's myopic but uh, it becomes very narrow in <laughs> uh, how they see the world. So I think comedians today <laughs> really have trouble. It's like if if you're part of that culture, then you're part of cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Cancel culture is all about silencing people who say what you don't want to hear. Uh-huh. So it's like, how do you how can you be a legitimate comedian that uh, speaks truth to power? Because that's really what comedy does in many instances, speaks truth to power. I think this movie does that in a in a subtle and a lighthearted way. I think it speaks truth to power. And mm. that power being those who are in, ch- and I'm not against mega churches. I want to say that right off the bat. I love mega, I mean, it, 
I love all. Ch- I love the church because it's the body of Christ. So right. I love the church. I'm not against big churches, but again, uh, big churches tend to uh, set the tone for the rest of the body of Christ, and I'm not sure that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Because the majority of churches in America are, you know, about 60 people. That's the average size church in America that believes the Bible. So, right. you know, mega churches, again, there's nothing wrong with them as long as they're people of the truth. And to be mm-hmm. people of the truth, you have to be people of the book. So, but again, sometimes we, the movie is really about how, you know, since I've been a Christian since the, or since I came back to the Lord in the early 90s, you know, I've been part of, well, long story short, I came back to the Lord in the early 90s, and yeah. I was working as a secular comic at the time. So I was doing clubs all around the country. And then I slowly transitioned into, well, my first experience in Christian events was working with Prison Fellowship. Oh. And I went into prisons all over the country. Uh, the Prison Fellowship used to have a, a program called Starting Line. And they'd bring in about four or five artists to a prison, and we'd basically do a variety show in the yard, which is the main, you know, just a big open area in the middle of the prison where the prison prisoners can just wander about. You've seen that uh-huh. movie where they're, they're lifting weights and they're playing basketball and they're doing whatever out in the yard. Yeah. So that's where we'd set up in the yard somewhere and, you know, with the sound system and you'd perform for inmates and then we'd share the gospel in there and uh, get guys interested in a Bible study they called starting line. So that was my first experience. And then from there, I started doing Christian events, but I had a point to all this. And I, I do this sometimes I'll start on my point and I'll go <laughs> off to another story and forget the entire point. Oh, the point is this. Yeah. So I started that in the early nineties. And so that brought me into what I would call the machine of evangelicalism. Okay. You know, there's a subculture there. Now, I don't think it's bad to have a subculture anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, cause I think Christians are people who are living a subculture we don't, we're in the world, but not of the world. That right, in right. itself uh, mandates a subculture. So I used to be against the Christian subculture. I'm not any longer because I just don't think, this is my personal opinion now. I say this to all aspiring actors and writers and whatever. It's like, I, unless you're going to go covert or as a missionary, I don't think that there's not a place for you in Hollywood. Just yeah. the way the mindset of the wor- the way the world is now, there is not a place for you there because they don't want to hear anything you have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a very short time, we're going to be seen as the enemy if we're not already seen as the enemy now. Mm. That's why I think a subculture is necessary. There's really no difference to me in terms of the quality of the product that the Christian subculture puts out and the secular market puts out. So we put out some bad stuff, but there's less of us, and they put out some bad stuff. But there's more of them, <laughs> so so they can put out better stuff because there's more of them. There's mm-hmm. just less of us, so our quality stuff is less, and our yeah. bad. But if you if you look at the bad stuff coming out of Hollywood, it's there's more bad stuff than quality stuff. Right. So you know, I hate when people. I do now. I used to be a critic myself, but when people criticize the Christian subculture because it's addicted to mediocrity, as Frankie Schaefer said years ago, and then he went off the rails. So mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> his his critique is kind of moot. But anyway, the point is we have a subculture, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that because that's a way we can still express. I mean, if you look at what's happening on social media today, yeah. I was just on Gab for the first time today, uh, looking for alternatives to Facebook because I do a show. Speaking of being people of the truth, I started a show after the uh, November third elections called the Protest Show. Oh. So I started a show on my YouTube. I have a YouTube channel, so I just started a show 
that I do once a week. It's about a five or 10 minute show. And it's really just political comedy. I, I never considered myself a political comedian. I was just a suburbanite comedian. I did uh, observational. I was an observational comic. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, the reason political comedy has always been hard is because it's topical and topical material burns. Uh, it's just it just you go through it. You know, again, being people of the truth, you're speaking truth to power. So this is a way for me to constructively protest what's going on in our country as a Christian. And mm -hmm. uh, I used to be one of those Christians uh, who would say never sp never talk about politics from the pulpit and all that kind of stuff. I just think that's the wrong mindset these days. I, I think uh, as Christians, <clears throat> you know, as your program uh, from what you were telling me about your program before we went live is that it's really about people being affected by who God is in terms of being in awe of who God is. And that affects everything about us. Yes. If we're truly in awe of who God is, that affects every aspect of our lives continuously, moment by moment. So how do you not talk about politics from a perspective of a Christian worldview? If you ignore it, then I think you're doing a disservice to the congregation. And I think, you know, my my perspective now is I think that's why we're in the state we're in. <laughs> so, <laughs> the country's in the state it's in because preachers have, in my opinion, pulled back from talking about hard things. I hear a preacher say, you know, I preach on abortion, you know, once a year, or like once a year, I probably, I don't, I, I don't put it in my sermon, but abortion comes up a lot. <laughs> Just as I'm preaching through the scriptures myself, abortion comes up a lot because it's a travesty. It's an evil, it's grotesque. It's everything that we should, it should really outrage us, mm -hmm. you know, but because we are part of the culture we're in. We kind of swim in these waters. We become immune to some of these things that we really should be uh, much more, you know, in terms of taking to the streets. I'm not against civil disobedience in terms of protesting, especially. In, that's why. But it has to be done constructively in a Christian way with a Christian attitude. So but all that to say we have a Christian subculture. Nothing wrong with that there. <laughs> what a long answer to that. <laughs> Okay, so before we get into the movie, let me ask you something. Yeah. How, how do you keep the vibrancy of your relationship with Christ going? What What do you do like when things start sliding away, or you see yourself not where you should be? What What do you do? Well, so, some of it's for me. Like for me, I've you know I came back to the Lord in '93. I had a really bad theological perspective. I'm big on theology now because I feel theology saved my Christian life. Um, and theology to me is really focusing on the person and work of Jesus, what some mm -hmm. people would say is the gospel. But, uh, you know, it's, Jesus is the gospel. So if you focus yeah. on the gospel, you're focusing on Jesus. Uh, so for me, there there is, you know, what we call the spiritual disciplines is just being disciplined every day to read the Bible, to pray and stay consistently in the word. And, and if you because I don't know your listenership or where they're mm -hmm. coming from, but. One thing I always stress is this. If you open the Bible, God is speaking to you. So you never have to say, I wish the Lord would speak to me. I wish, because what you're really saying when you say that is you're wanting a subjective experience. Um, now, subjective experiences are part of the Christian life. We, it's experiential. We, we serve a risen Savior. We experience him because he's alive. But if you open the Bible, God's speaking to you. And you can take it as his word to you. The onus is just on understanding the context of the original word and what it was, what the Lord was trying to communicate to those people, because he's still trying to communicate that same thing to us. 
and I shouldn't even say try. He's communicating that same thing to us. So that's part of it for me is you, you just have to be disciplined, whether it's five minutes a day or, you know, my Christian life was transformed. Well, I, so here's a long story short. Yeah. And I don't even know if that's possible, as you can already tell by talking to me. But, <laughs> you know, I became a Christian my freshman year of college, had some really bad theology and grew discouraged about three years into my Christian walk. And I didn't I didn't turn away from the Lord out of anger or just, you know, I'm mad at you. It was just kind of I can't do this because mm. I was trying to live the Christian life in my own strength. Right. And part of that's because I had a, a faulty view or an incomplete view of the gospel. Um, though I believe I was legitimately a Christian when I look back now, uh, it's just a matter of maturity and the enemy coming because I found one of the greatest weapons of the enemy is just to discourage you because if mm -hmm. the enemy discourage you in discouragement, you give up. And that's the goal. And I gave up. I just stopped, you know, walking with the Lord. I still believed everything, but I just I like I was like, I need a break. And then as you drift away, that's when the enemy will get you into other, you know, life debilitating or or the, the type of sins that make it really hard to live the Christian life and call yourself a Christian type of th thing. So mm -hmm. basically, and that's the that's the state of mind I started stand-up comedy in, in the secular market. And I didn't call myself a Christian anymore. Uh, so you would have met me and you'd have thought, this guy's the furthest person away from the kingdom of God in the world. But I, but secretly, I still believed everything. I still believed, yes. just, you know, as, as much as I understood, I believed it. And I knew I'd have to come back to the Lord one day because I believed he was the truth. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just a weird state of mind to do comedy in. But when I came back to the Lord, it was from a place of desperation. And I was mm -hmm. at a point in my life where I'm like, uh, I basically said to the Lord, if you can do something with my life, it's yours. And which is a really pathetic prayer. But, you know, so <laughs> feel it, it really shows you the lack of confidence I have in God. If you can do something with my life, it's yours. And it's kind of like I know that I'm, you know, I'm, it, it just shows you the self-centered mindset that we have. Right. Sometimes. But I made this commitment. I'll pray mm -hmm. and read the Bible for five minutes a day. And that was a package deal. It was like. If I read a chapter and it takes me three minutes, then I'll pray for two minutes. But I'm like, I'll just pray and read the Bible five minutes a day because I didn't even know if I could do that. Like every day I would do that. I didn't know if I'd be a Christian at the end of that day or the end of that week. That's how uh, wow. I was morally bankrupt. So I knew I did not have the willpower mm. to, to yeah. turn over a new leaf. Uh, I just could not make a change in my own life. And that's why that's when I really experienced grace and what grace is about. But the point being... I just made a simple, you know, five minutes a day and, and the Lord used that and completely transformed my life. And so again, the answer to the question is, I think you just, the biggest thing for me is consistency because mm -hmm. sometimes you're going to feel very close to the Lord yeah. and, uh, and sometimes you'll feel very distant, but if you're always depending, if you're always looking to your subjective state to determine whether you're close to the Lord or far from the Lord, you're going to be an up and down Christian. Right. Whereas if you maintain a consistency, it's like having a relationship. You know, if you talk to your wife every day and you see her every day and you interact with her every day um, and that relationship is good, then it's going to be harder to go astray, you know, in right. your marriage. So in one sense, that same thing is true in our Christian lives. So there's a consistency. And in that consistency, it's learning the truths of the gospel. It's learning yes. what has Jesus done for me and it's always applicable. So it's it's becoming convinced of it because I'm pretty convinced that Genesis chapter three is the, is is a primary thing in everyone's life where the enemy's coming in. Did God really say? Is God really good? 
Right. I think he loves other people, but I'm not sure he loves you. It's that type. And, and I think everyone's struggling with that emotionally. So I think mm -hmm. Christians need to hear uh, how, how inviting God is, how Jesus is saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Mm -hmm. Don't, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be fearful because I'm, I've gone to prepare a place for you. I'm for you. It's that. And I think we continually need that message, which is the gospel. It's about who God is, what he's done for us. Yes. Yeah. The word that came to me last night for some reason along these lines was the word allow. We need to allow ourselves to take that in rather yeah. than, you know, fighting it or, or whatever, putting it off. So, yeah, we do fight it because we feel like we don't deserve it. And right. the reality is we don't deserve it. But that's no. what it is. It's unmerited favor. You get what you don't deserve. So, yep. Thank God for His grace. Uh, yeah. So now let's let's move ahead to looking at the movie. Maybe give a little recap without telling people what you think would be too much about the movie, what it was generally about, and and what got you to that point where you felt this was something that might people may need to hear now. Right. Well, what a long journey it is to make this, you know, the, well, the script went through about 30 different revisions and that's not uh, exaggerating. Mm. This movie started out uh, and it's still the same storyline for the most part, but it's really about a youth pastor who's in a mega church and he's in crisis. And the crisis is not his faith. The crisis is how the church goes about trying to get the message of the gospel uh, across to the world. Mm -hmm. And so he's struggling with the methods. So it's really about a youth pastor who's in crisis about the methods. And he's uh, he's considered America's youth pastor. So he is at the top of the game in uh, the evangelical subculture. He's part of a gigantic church whose pastor is nationally known. Senior pastor is known for his gimmicks. Hmm. And so that it comes down to a crisis of gimmicks because he – and here's the thing about gimmicks, and this is true. Um, yeah. And I got the, a lot of the, the theme of the book – uh, really comes from, I'm trying to think of the author, but there is a book called The Courage to be Protestant. The author will come to me, but uh, um, unfortunately, uh, I, should, I don't have the book in front of me, but I can't think of his name right off, off the bat, but it'll come. Yeah. But anyway, because he's written a ton of stuff, but, uh, but he wrote a book called The Courage to be Protestant, and the book was really dealing with this kind of gimmicky type of Christianity. But the point he made in his book is that if you're trying to reach people with gimmicks and draw them in with gimmicks, the gimmicks have to keep, you, you hit a, you hit a glass ceiling at some mm -hmm. point because there's right. going to be a point where the gimmicks aren't enough. Sure. And that's kind of where this senior pastor is. And so he's like, he's going beyond gimmicks and decides that, you know, with Easter coming up, they're a good Friday service. They're going to have an actual crucifixion. And therein lies the kind of the <laughs> big idea of the story is now, of course, that's the big idea of the story, but that's that's really the the mm -hmm. crux of the storyline right there. What do you want people to take away from it that watch it, or what do you you know what would well, you encourage I think, people? To I come really watch? think that the marketing uh, collide, which is handling all the marketing and, and the distribution for the film, is really they put the trailer together and they did an amazing job capturing the tone of the movie. They really captured it, but they encapsulated it. I think they just took a, dia a, a line of dialogue from one of the characters, but I'm uh -huh. going generally one of the characters states the theme. And the theme is, is the gospel enough? Yeah. And that's pretty much the theme. It's like the theme is wherever you're at in your Christian life, whatever church you're a part of, however big it is, whether it's 10,000 people or 100 people, the gospel's enough, mm -hmm. you know? Even for a hundred thousand people uh, at a church, I don't know if there's a church of a hundred thousand people, but 
if you got a church of 10,000, there are churches of 10,000 people in this country, but right. if you look at the, the scriptures, we're just going through 1 Thessalonians right now, and in the very first chapter, Paul makes the point that the gospel creates the church, preaching Jesus creates the church, mm-hmm. and, and preaching the gospel sustains the church, because we continually need to be reminded there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and then the gospel grows the church, mm. preaching Jesus grows the church, and that's what a church needs. Mm-hmm. So however you want to, you know, you can dress that up as much as you want, but, well, I would even, I'll, I'll take that back. The problem is if you dress that up too much, you obscure the gospel message. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the danger of the church. And I think that's the point of the movie is the gospel's enough. But if you try mm-hmm. to, it's like, sometimes we try to be so relevant that we're irrelevant is that type well, of thing. But yeah, again, someone made this point years ago. I don't know who said this, probably a bunch of people, but we don't have to try to be relevant. We're talking about truth. Truth <laughs> is always relevant, and yes. every person will recognize that. And this may not be an answerable question, but do you see a tipping point or something that would should tell people they've maybe stepped a little too far? You know, so it's easy to get into things, you know, and you get absorbed, and you're you're well, trying to reach a culture. Yeah. Well, that's I, think a, uh, I think a sign is if you hear something like the gospel's enough, all we need to do is preach Jesus, and you go. If you question that, <laughs> uh-huh. okay, but I think you're you're you need to step back. Okay, uh, good point. You know, because I I, I hear I, I read things all the time, and I you know, I think to be in ministry or just to be a intelligent Christian, you you need to read at least need, you need to read the Bible for sure as a Christian. <laughs> Every Christian, whether you're a reader or not, like if reading is your thing, uh, if it's not your thing, you still need to read the Bible. You know, I I get all kinds of emails from church leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I hear stuff and they're influencing lots of people. And sometimes I hear stuff that I just, you know, I go, I just don't agree with that anymore. Right. Um, you know, I think some of that is trying to, and, and yeah, we have to be winsome. I believe we have to speak the truth in love, but I feel like too many pastors censor themselves mm-hmm. because they're anticipating how's this going to be received. Mm-hmm. And I don't see any sign of that when I read the New Testament. I don't get yeah. any sense that Paul is monitoring himself. First Thessalonians was written to brand new Christians. Yes. So there's a barometer. This is what you can say to people who've just come into faith or even seekers, as they're called. But mm-hmm. I, I think to to monitor uh, our – now, how we say it, sure, maybe. Now, how we say it, uh, mm-hmm. we can always say th- – you can say the right thing in the wrong way. I think that's true. Right. I just, you know, like some of these charts, I just read this this morning. I got an email from a, a church leader and and you hear this like multiple times a year. Uh, the reason we're losing the millennials or the reason we're, you know, not reaching people is we're, we're too judgmental. We've got to not be judgmental anymore. And uh, yeah, I go, I don't even I'm first of all, I don't agree with that because it, it's a it's a false charge. It's a it's a false uh, it's a false dichotomy, first of all, mm-hmm. because to judge someone as being judgmental, you're being judgmental. So number one, that's kind of a ridiculous point. They need to have that pointed out in a gentle way. Yeah, I mean that's part of the part of the problem, I think, with a lot of people. Uh, well, uh, our, our thinking is always a problem. Our thinking <laughs> inside the church and outside the church. That's what the Word of God is for. It's to renew our minds, which means it's yeah, not only cleansing our thinking, it's setting us on a right way of thinking. You know, I believe God's a rational God. I believe 
The only reason we know there's rational thought and logical thinking is because God created it. It's, these are transcendent things, which is a problem for atheists, because you can't just say, uh, I believe in reason, that's why I don't believe in God. Again, it's like, what, did, what do you think, reason just appeared somewhere? That's a ridiculous <laughs> mindset. It's just a ridiculous argument. And I think that's part of comedy is pointing out the ridiculous. Well, and I, you know, I think you're right. It's like Paul said, we're not supposed to stop going to people to talk to them about things that we see. It's just that we're supposed to make sure we look to ourselves, make sure we have the right attitude so yeah, that we don't think, fall into the same trap. And I think the movie, at least from my perspective, the movie lovingly puts a mirror back on uh, the big machine of evangelicalism. Mm. And, and I think it, it highlights things that we do need to take seriously and consider. Yeah. Uh, but I think it does it in a comical way. I think, I think it's, um, I, I think it really hit the right tone and strikes the right tone. And that's, you know, in one sense it's, it's satirical, but you can only s satirize something that you love because right. you can't satirize something that you don't love because you don't, you don't know it. You're not acquainted with it. So that's why whenever non-Christians try to satirize evangelicalism, it's just mean because that's mm -hmm. that's their only perspective. It's just meanness. So there's there's no meanness in the movie in that sense. It doesn't feel mean. It just it feels lighthearted. It's funny. Uh, I, well, I think it's funny. I'll say two things about the movie. One about before it was filmed and one the filming. So I don't know how much time we have, but I want to make sure I oh, make those points. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so before the movie was made, this is probably five years ago. We were trying to get the movie made. You know, so we, uh, you, Christopher probably talked about this, but we made a trailer about the movie before the movie was made. Yeah. Talk about that. Okay. Just so briefly. Want, yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, we did some short films together and we just gathered a team and took a day and the script was already written, but we just, I just picked out certain scenes from the script that we could use. And uh, this is, I don't know if it's ironic or the hand of God, but the <laughs> place that we shot the trailer at before the movie was made was the place we actually shot the actual movie. Um, <laughs> wow. So, yeah, so we, and that was an unintentional on our part. God incident. There you go. And uh, so we, we shot this little trailer that was about two minutes long. And, and, and Christopher, again, he's Mr. Social Media. He's sending messages to people that we, and saying things that would, you know, we talked about this before. It would embarrass me to be that, <laughs> that, uh, overt on social right. media it was just like it's too much christopher back off but that's how he got us a meeting with stephen baldwin who ended up finding the guy who financed the the movie but uh, before the movie was funded i was standing in my kitchen in my home i remember this very distinctly because there's few times in your life when you really have a handle on your motives i feel mm -hmm. most of the times our motives are mixed but every now and then we have kind of a clarity of motive and uh, and I remember praying, and this was sincere, and that's why I, you know I, I I knew my heart in that moment, and I just said to the Lord, yeah. I don't want this movie to get made unless it glorifies you, because yeah. I really wasn't concerned about trying to have a film career. I wasn't like, oh, I you know, because when you begin your career, of course, you want to have a fan base, and you're trying mm -hmm. to do all the tricks of the trade and all that stuff. But at that point, it was like I was not, and that's why I do the protest show now. It's like I don't. I don't mind being a political comedian right now because I'm just concerned about speaking truth in a comedic way and uh, whoever it reaches, it reaches. But, you know, I'm not concerned about, uh, is this going to get me a show? How's the audience going to react? I'm like a friend and I, we, we meet on zoom once a week, we write the sh show and then I film it, you know, in, in my garage in front of a green screen. And so that's, uh, that's an intense production uh, concept behind it. But, um, but, but I knew at that point, it's like, 
I, I was sincere that mm -hmm. I wasn't trying to have a film career. So my concern was that God would be glorified. Yeah. Um, and so once the film was made, it's it, you know, you've, I always think about that. I think about that a lot going, I'm, I'm trusting that he'll use it in the way that he wants to use it. And the other thing I will say about the film is that, man, we, Christopher and I adopted this motto because we worked on about, I don't know how many short films together, 10 tenement films. We've probably done, uh, I don't know, five to 10, maybe more, but we've okay. worked on a, at least, a, you know, close to a dozen short films together. And some of these are three day shoots, you know, on some of these, we had the same amount of people that we'd have on a, that we'd have on a crew for a full length motion picture. Mm -hmm. So we were, you know, really learning the filmmaking process by making these short films. But we, we adopted a motto at one point because even in Christian filmmaking, it's a group effort. And yeah. so things on set can get tense uh, because you, you're dealing with people who have different artistic visions, different visions of what they want this final thing to be. But so we adopted this motto when everything would when anything would get tense, we just yell fun because <laughs> we were making a movie, even if it's a short film. And we took that same thing into the feature length film. That's and great. we would just yell fun because, you know, we're doing something that most people just dream of doing and we're right. doing it. Yeah. So if you can't have fun doing that, then your perspective is all askew for sure. So we had a lot. This film was fun to make. Yes. And I believe yes. that translates in oh, the actual oh. uh, production of it. Well, you, and I can say, yeah, I love the movie. Great cast. You guys got your point across. Like you said, it was done in a very, I thought it was so well balanced in making its point funny and yet had the serious parts in it. And, and so I, I, I love the movie and I thought I, it had me hooked right off the bat. So good job. I'm promoting it here because it was very, very good. Good, good. Yeah. I hope it gets an audience. Yes, me too. Um, so one last thing before we go, um, or if there's anything else you want to say, I just wanted to ask you about your change from, you know, I think somewhere you said that comedians, uh, they just don't know they have a calling yet. <laughs> They're really pastors uh, who haven't recognized their calling or something like that. How has that change been for you switching into, you know, the last, what, seven years or something, pastoring churches? Yeah, well, um, so when I first became a Christian my freshman year of college, I felt called to preach right away. Mm -hmm. um, and then I fell away. And then when I came back to the Lord, when I started doing stand-up, uh, even as I was doing stand-up in the Christian market, there were opportunities for me to transition from comedy into a gospel message. And mm -hmm. uh, I was preaching all along, but somebody's pointed this out, that there's only two people in our culture that um, stand in front of audiences and talk for a living. And one is stand-up comedians and the other is preachers. Mm -hmm. So there are great similarities uh, between stand-up comedy and preaching. Mm -hmm. um, and just in terms of communication. So I felt like the, one of the things with doing stand-up for over 20 years before I transitioned into to preaching, it was about communication, just comfortable in front of a, a crowd. So mm -hmm. that's really the biggest thing. Now, I don't try to be funny when I preach. Right. Um, and part of that is, is my view of preaching, because I, I know preachers like little tips. How can I, you know, how can I open with a funny story? And right, I'm like, right. oh, I, I don't, why, why open with a funny story? Don't you, I mean, you're talking about the, the greatest truths in the world. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You can't make that interesting. Then consider know, the career possibly, <laughs> that's, but that's right. Um, you know, you're, you're it's, you know, Martin Lloyd Jones, who's my favorite oh, yeah. of all time 
So, I, I, I got to say, I'm I'm Welsh, so he's one of my favorite too oh, because he's yeah. Welsh. <laughs> What's so interesting about Lloyd Jones is you'll hear a sermon that he preached in the 1950s, mm -hmm. and it applies absolutely to it. Nothing has changed. I I just heard this a few weeks ago. He was talking about how you know all these church experts was talking about we're talking about the problem is communication it's a new generation we got to communicate in a new way and it's like we're in the yeah. same thing today and his, it's his not is, different people have not changed uh -uh. so they what they need is the gospel they need jesus and that's the message so it's just so refreshing to know that you know, he always he always affirms to me that okay okay this is the right way to go this is the right way to think yes um, but he said years ago that uh, you have to be gripped by what you're saying or no one else will be. So huh. that's my whole thing is if you want to be interesting as a speaker, just be passionate about what you're talking about. Be gripped by it. And mm -hmm. people will listen to what you're saying at that point. So a couple jokes up front are, are not going to make your sermon interesting if you're not gripped by what you're saying. Boy, right on. And that's what I did for years. I was in sales and then I, I trained salespeople. One of the first things, that's what people would ask me, you know, how can I start with joking or anything? I go, if you're not a comedian, <laughs> you don't want to start with a joke. Yeah, it's like sometimes I'll be funny during the sermon, but it's just in the moment. So, right. You know, right. I don't, it's like be be who you are in the moment. Exactly. Be yourself. Now, be authentic. Yeah, and, and comedy, though, now comedy is a craft. So in yes. kind stand up, it's a craft you learn. Now you you first consider comedy because people in real life start telling you, you're really funny. You should be a comedian. You hear that all the time before you're uh -huh. a comedian. And the once you become a comedian, no one ever says that to you. And I always wondered why that was. And then I finally realized, well, before you're a comedian, you're trying to be funny because you want to make people laugh. Yes. Now, once you become a comedian, you make people laugh all the time. So in <laughs> real life, you're not looking for those opportunities. You're thinking about it turns into the craft. You, yes. you sit down to it like Ron McGee who helps me with the protest show. We meet every week and you know, I'll write a bunch of stuff during the week. I'll uh, collect some thoughts and, you know, read some stuff and then we'll sit mm -hmm. down with these premises or some jokes and I'll just read through it and we'll craft a four or five minutes or seven minutes uh, set for the protest show. Okay. And, uh, you know, that's, and that's the craft of comedy, but right. you know, I don't walk around cracking jokes. Now, again, every personality is different, but I tend to be a little more introspective and, I'm more of, more of a thinker uh, when mm -hmm. it comes to comedy because I was a horrible audience member before I was a comedian. Mm -hmm. I, I loved comedians and I'd go to see comedians, but I rarely laughed at them. I would admire what they were saying and the you know, cleverness. I'm like, oh, that's good. And I was one of those people. Oh, that's funny rather than laugh. So you know, I learned to be a laugher, though, because I'm going, that's the worst kind of response you can get as a comedian. But I yes. know that personality types are different. Some people are just not big laughers. And, uh, and every week before the protest show, I call Christopher Sean Shaw, the director of uh, Church People. Mm -hmm. and after Ron and I craft a set for the protest show or a script for it, I'll sit down and I'll read it to Christopher because he's like my canary in the coal mine. It's <laughs> like if, if there's air, uh, he's, if, if there's laughter, there's air. If, if there's no laughter, that canary's dead. So he's throw that dead. joke out. Dead he, cage. He's kind of like my everyman barometer, and he's always had such a great laugh, and he's been a great he, – anyway, he brings out the best in me as a comedian because he's a great laugher. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, he's a great guy. Um, glad to say he is from central Ohio here, so he said when he comes back, <laughs> we're going to head out. <laughs> uh, well, Thor, thanks a lot. Appreciate you taking all this time. This is great. Um, anything else you want to say before we go? 
just go see the film. Tell your friends about it. Go see it. If you love it, if you end up loving it, uh, just keep get the word of mouth going on the film. Keep passing it on. I agree with yeah. you. Well, God yeah. bless you, and we'll be praying for you and everything you're into, and I can't wait to, to look at the protest show. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. Thank you.